0: Talk Radio.
1: And hello out there. This is the converted Mets fan, Sam Maxwell, and you are here with the third episode of a Metsian podcast. And uh, we're gonna get right into it. And first, I'm gonna welcome in basically just uh, my my fellow host here uh, for the night. Uh, why don't we say, uh, and that is Mike Mike LeColant from uh, Bensonhurst, Brooklyn. How are you doing, Mike? Good evening. I'm well. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, and shout out to Rich Spirago who unfortunately could not join us for this evening, but uh, he is always here in absentia, if you will. And uh, without further ado, I'm going to bring on the featured guest, and that is none other than Mets Musings' Gary Mack. And Gary, uh, I have to say, you know, you've been doing these podcasts with us over at Rising Apple for a very long time. And this is the third episode in three weeks. I have to say this is the most consistent we've been on in a very long time.
0: (laughs) Well, first off, uh, good luck with the new uh, podcast. Uh, uh, Second, thank you for having me on. It's uh, always a pleasure and a lot of thrill and fun to be with you guys. I always enjoy it. And uh, I wish you all the luck in the world with this. Just don't take too many of my listeners away.
1: No, we will not. We will not. We're, we're, it's a it's a friendly competition within the, the Mets podcast world, I'd have to say. And, and uh, you know, Gary, I'm just going to get right into it in terms of basically picking up from where we were leaving off last time. Obviously, there's second base to talk about. There's the shortstop. There's Jose Reyes' is back. You know, all these different things. But I want to go back to what we were talking about with Jeff Wilpon and what he had to say. Uh, uh, which basically he comes out of his gopher hole every like two to three years, and he says something about the payroll. Um, you know, we were we were kind of insulted about the David Wright part, but without like putting any words into your mouth, what 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 did you take out of, if anything new at all, from what Jeff Wilpon had to say? Well, I, I didn't really
0: get much out of it. I, I didn't get anything new out of it. I, I, I am, you know, he says he feels our pain. I I, I think. He, He's sincere in that, but I don't, still don't think they get it. I I don't, and I think it's the whole organization. I I think they just don't get the fans. It's it, it, they appreciate the fans. They look, they had they had that girl, the the, the high school girl, got the tweets, um, and and they did a big thing for her last Saturday at the high school, where they had Mr. Matt and, and all of this, and they're they're gonna. You know, they had a nice little video they put out about May 18th. They're gonna host her at City Field with her prom friends and all of that. Going to the prom, but I still don't think they get it complete. And I don't know what to attest that to. It's just a, it's just a feeling. It's just, it's just a thing. I mean, uh, you know, and I think it goes to the publicity. I really think it's time for them to get a new PR guy. Uh, I think it's time for Jay Horowitz to call it quits. I, I don't think he twitters a lot, but I don't think
2: he
0: I don't think he gets it either. And I think they need. I think they need a lot of fresh blood in the organization, really. To, to and maybe they could uh, uh, convince everybody that they finally get it. I, I think I had hopes for Jeff Wilpon because I figured he was younger than Fred. But I, I, I don't know. I think he's hung up on being. I'm an owner, and and that's that's what it is. And and I
1: really don't think they understand the fans. I'm gonna go with the the whole prom thing because I actually thought, like as I was watching it unfold, I actually thought it was one of the stealthiest PR moves they've had in a long time because all of a sudden. Everybody was talking about the head. Nobody cared about the fact that that was that was the only headline, and nobody was talking. Just after there was some bad PR about you know Jeff Wolf on saying something. Uh, all of right. a sudden, it's one of the like everybody's talking about this prom thing, and everybody thinks it's fantastic. They're getting it's getting ABC news. It's you know it's getting news across the nation on ABC. I mean, <laughs> like out that, that you know maybe they did get a new PR person because that was pretty stealthy after everything that's been going on in the off season. Or maybe he's just been
0: on vacation and somebody did something, you know, I I, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I
1: just,
0: you know, I think it's time for change. I, I think they have to, I, I also think they have to embrace the bloggers and the podcasters more and look you can you can discriminate a little bit. You you know who's gonna if you've listened to a little bit, you know who's gonna be like who's in their basement and fourteen years old doing a podcast on the Met and who actually takes some time and puts together notes and gets guests and, and tries to make it as professional as possible. Um I I, I think they have to embrace more like that and get more of that publicity in. You know, if they they let us come in made it easier for us to come in and cover the games. Could you imagine how much better press they would get out of that? And how much more people would listen and, and you know, and, and say, wow, they're a pretty good open organization. But they they seem to be very closed and this even goes to Brooklyn as well. It's it's very a tight thing. I can get a press pass to uh, the Hudson Valley Renegade with no problem. I can get a press pass to Staten Island Yankees with no problem. I wrote the guy. I said i do a podcast. I want to uh, come to the game. And, and, bam, the guy was waiting there with a press pass for me. Um, the Mets and the Cyclones give you a hard time all the time. So I, I don't think they inter- – Uh, And this is becoming the meteor of the fans, if you will, bloggers and podcasters, and I don't think they're seeing that, and that's why that's another reason why I don't think they quite understand the fans.
1: I think they also don't quite understand exactly the position they are as a New York ball team in 2018 going with what you just said in terms of not understanding. They don't understand the fans, and they don't understand how to utilize the technology that they have at their fingertips mm-hmm. to, you know, for the be- the fans' best interest and the team's best interest. And ironically, I'm not 14 years old, but I am in my oldest sister's basement right now. So I don't know what to say <laughs> about that during this podcast. Like, uh... <laughs> But Mike, I don't think there is one thing else that you can necessarily say positive or negative about the the Wilpons. I guess, I, you know, as my co-host, let's take it from there.
2: You know what? Gary brought up a point of view. I, I, I agree with the whole I, – I agree with wholeheartedly, but he's absolutely right. You know, in a city of 8 million people, in a metropolitan area of, you know, 15, 16 million people, it would behoove this organization to reach out, branch out, you know? And because and, let's face it, with that many people, you only got a few members of the media speaking on our behalf? No, no, they probably get it wrong more often than not. So I, I agree with Gary. Uh, this organization and even the media to some extent are really out of touch With the fans, because look what what happened with Terry Collins. The media protected Terry Collins from the fans for many, many years. And then they kicked him on the way out. Everything that they protected him, they, you know, all that resurfaced again and they just slapped him in the face with it on the way out. But for years they protected Terry Collins from us. So that proves that they're a little bit out of touch. Uh. And I think it's a brilliant point that Gary points out. And, you know, and, and the Wilpons, isn't it funny, Gary? And, and you remember this as well as I do. You know, when they came on back in 1980, they, they seemed to be a little bit more in touch than they are than they are now. They they've slipped along the way because they made enhancements to Shea Stadium. They gave it a paint job. They they changed the seats. And, and and you know put pennants on the outfield wall and and did a couple of things to make it more Mets centric mm-hmm. and, and 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 the and the, feel, the and Apple and to have Mets feel more at home in their own park and they were the ones who created the Mets Hall of Fame you know and and mm-hmm. the Brooklyn Cyclones they've you know they've done a really good job with the Brooklyn Cyclones From beginning to end It's a monster unto itself That's mm-hmm. probably it's, it's probably why that's so It's so difficult for anybody To get a press pass as Gary says uh, But uh, Aside from how big they've actually Gotten within You know The, 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 the context of things uh, They do a great job of connecting with the hood And connecting with the Dodgers As well as they should Unlike the Mets The Mets should be Holy Mets centric. I don't care what kind of connections they want to make with the Brooklyn Dodgers. I'm already hooked. I'm, I'm there, you know, 100%. And, and that whole connection with the Dodgers is great. Now, these are the same people who own the Mets and, and drive us crazy. When once mm-hmm. upon a time, you know, they did things that we were more agreeable with. It's amazing. Amazing.
0: But, Michael, you know, I have to wonder if a lot of that early stuff
2: was being pushed by double as well,
0: you know. Well, uh,
2: I touched on this somewhat last week, uh, and and perhaps you're right, because if anything, of the two partners, he brought uh, authoritative balance. I think he had the better baseball acumen, and he was probably – well, as we're saying, probably just a tad bit more in touch with us than the Wilpons were. Now, both obviously come from uh, high, elevated social statuses. You know, from the from the metropolitan elite. They're rich, to put it plainly. Uh, <laughs> but from the very beginning, it was Fred Wilpon and and uh, Saul Katz who originally put up the two percent uh, of the bid. To to Payson's estate now they still needed somebody to come up with the rest of it knowing that Fred Wilpon would be the managing owner and lo and behold Nelson Doubleday stepped in and and accepted the terms in a nutshell uh, whoever was going to walk into that situation regardless Fred Wilpon was going to be the managing owner so he's been essentially called, been calling the shots since day one. Now, as you say, Doubleday, perhaps he brought balance, you know, to the galaxy. Uh, obviously, we've seen to be out of whack with him ever since. So you you might be right in that respect because we also know that he wanted to renovate Chase Stadium as opposed to building City Field, which was Will uh type uh, project.
1: So, I think it's just such a perfect point, Gary, how just because you have this pretty solid connection to baseball, you you went to school with Sandy Koufax, you played baseball yourself, you love baseball, you love the Dodgers. You know, Nelson Doub- Doubleday might not have been as big of a baseball fan as Fred Walpond. It might not have, you know it might not have been as big of a dream or, or whatnot to own a baseball team one day, but it seemed like he understood how to operate one better in, in New York. And why, why is it that, um, that, you know, I, I know Mike has told the story so a lot of times, but why, why is it that it, it segwayed out where, where Nelson Doubleday segwayed out and Wilpon had, you know, was the one who ended up staying in? Well, Mike can probably tell you better than I, but I, I think he just
0: got fed up with the Wilpons, and I, I think it was really Jeff Wilpon because uh, there have been articles over the years that maybe even written in books about Doubleday had very little regard for uh, uh, Jeff Wilpon, and uh, I forget the exact quotes, but uh, I, I don't. I yeah, I, I think Doubleday had sold his business here the double-date books, and I think uh, he he wanted to go to Florida. He, he had a house down there, and he was down there most of the time. And I, You know, uh, as far as not being a fan, though, uh, one thing I noticed that he used to, if I recall correctly, Mike, you can probably uh, remember better than I. My memory uh, is fading about such things. But he used to sit in the stand too, Doubleday. I don't think he sat in in a box as much as, as these guys nowadays. I mean, uh of course, you know, uh pet peeve about getting a statue for Joan Payton, she sat all the time next to the dugout. She was there constantly. And I think Doubleday had seats in the stand too. I don't think he sat a lot of fun in the in a booth, uh, per se. But um I don't know. You know, sometimes I wonder, uh, Double Day came from an entertainment, if you will, business, the book business, which to a certain extent is entertainment. And uh, he may have known that business world better and maybe he had some better ideas with the Mets that the, the Wilpons went with at the time. And then when the Wilpons took it over, you know, it, they're – they're in uh, a building industry, and it's, it's a little bit different, perhaps. And they just, they just can't seem to get it right, though. And that's where I think sometimes that it's the PR department now and all of this that, that they just can't get things right. It just seems everything they do seems to be worded wrong or done incorrectly or there's something to find fault with. And uh meantime, the other team in the Bronx just stacked their fingers and everything seems to fall in place for them.
2: <laughs> fall in place. In you place. know, Mike
1: I, I, Mike, this I, book yeah. Mike, this book hasn't been written yet. Why and, and yeah, it's I'm been wrong. it's been a while since Nelson Doubleday hasn't been there. It seems you know, we're talking close to twenty years since this friction probably started. You could probably date it. Uh, the Wilpon story to basically the mid-90s and the late 90s. Um, I'm I'm interested as to, I, I'm sure somebody's going to write the book one day, and I'm interested to see who's going to be that person to kind of talk about how this entire thing kind of fell apart. Uh,
2: Yeah, you know, it was, it was a strange relationship from the very beginning. It was uh, the owner, the then owner of the Islanders who put them in contact with each other. Uh, And at the time, you know, it it seemed like a good idea, but they never got along. And and to use Doubleday's own words, he says, look, you hire good baseball people and you stay out of the way. That was his philosophy as an owner, uh, where we know uh, the Wilpons to be otherwise. They like to think they stay out of the way, but they're very meddlesome. And they're very paranoid. Don't forget, these are the same owners who banned newspapers from the clubhouse so players wouldn't read negative uh, press clippings about themselves. You know, so where they claim to be hands-off and give their general manager complete autonomy, we know that's not the case. We know, you know, they're the ones who really uh, set the standing operating procedure over there.
1: Yeah, and there's not much marketing in terms of the real estate that they were in as as far as I know. I mean, I'm pretty sure they were just generally in, you know, construction building. They weren't in like marketing a a an apartment building or or what they they they, they everything you guys are saying, it I I think you you're spot on about it. Nelson Doubleday came from a place where you needed to market a book. And you needed to not only, hold, you know, you need, not only needed to have uh, good marketing, but, you know, you needed to fill it with substance within the book because then word of mouth would generate press. And then it would be a number one bestseller on the New York Times bestselling list. And spending money on quality would eventually get you more money and then so on and so forth. And they don't seem to have that, that ability to process that into mar- that marketing idea into uh, New York baseball.
2: Oh, well, yeah. I think their whole business model has radically changed. That's why their whole business model has radically changed. And, and what do I mean by were, that? They were
1: Madoff but they, weren't, the rules. but they weren't good at it before. But they weren't good at it before Madoff though. I mean they were they the only thing that Madoff provided them was the money what, was what they hoped was more money to compete on the Yankees level. That's all Madoff really provided them. It didn't provide them with the proper understanding of how to operate a baseball team. No, but the point about that is, you know, money
2: hides a lot of mistakes. You know? Uh, the mistake of 2006 was relying on guys like John Maine and uh, Oliver Perez and Tom Glavin. and you know we just didn't have the pitching. But they spent the money. Look, they took over sole ownership in 2002. Like I said, Steve Phillips left them with the highest payroll in the National League, and and they were a last place club. Uh, but they were just coming off a pennant in 2000. That overshadows a lot until it wears off. Then we saw the backlash with Art Howe and Duquette, and then Omar came in and convinced them otherwise. But their whole business plan was still centered around Bernie Madoff. Uh, It was Bernie Madoff who financed, uh, 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 financed Wilpon's ability to come up with half of Doubleday's payment upon sale of his half of the team. So he's been around for a while, and that's the way they did business. And without him, they're a little bit clueless, and they're in debt, and they're waiting on us to fill the park before they do anything else. Uh, As far as PR, Gary's probably absolutely right. Maybe it is time for Jay Horowitz to go because it's a little stale at this point. It's the same message year in, year out. Uh, There is no difference going on. And, And look how the Steinbrenner children have evolved. Away from their father. The judge's chambers would have never existed in the boss's era,
1: but yet there it is. Fair. All fair here, here. points. And, and we're going to. Yeah. <laughs> order. Order. Okay? We can't go too far down. In, in complimenting the Yankees. <laughs> but and and, that, was, and that was around.
2: ownership's idea. That didn't even come from the fans. Ownership decided to put the judges' chambers out in right field. The boss would never have done Jesus. that. Talk about
1: evolution. No. Talk about evolution. And um, all we get is, and I'm going to end this segment on this, uh, a word that we phrased about Jeff Wilpon last week, and I'm sorry to be so egregious about it, but corporate douchebaggery—that's the the aura we get from Jeff Wilpon as the way he talks to us about David Wright's insurance money. Get the f out of here! Even though I've cursed on this show before, but uh, we're did you know Jeff? Did the, you know uh, Jeff also played baseball? Uh, I did not know that. Uh, well he did. So it's even more yeah.
2: mystifying.
1: I think he puts But he it's it's the it's it's, and... it's, the, it's the Bill Beck thing. It's the kind of Bill Beck thing. There's a reason why Bill Beck never won a championship yet. He was an owner for fifty years or whatever it was.
0: Well, he had a couple of screws loose though too. So
1: But
2: he did a lot, <laughs> yes.
0: he, did a lot <laughs> he did a lot for the game and and um you know, I mean, you can make the argument as well. Like you said, the, the book hasn't been written yet. Maybe we can get Greg Prince to write it. <laughs> um,
1: That's what but, I'm thinking, uh, is Greg Prince. And, and I <laughs> just throw in some, some Mike rants about, about the whole thing, and I think you got a book. <laughs> um, but, you know, you can honestly say that they won one world championship
0: or one pennant under uh, under Double Bay and Wilpon, and, yes, uh, under Wilpons alone, they won two no world championships and a couple of division titles. So I don't. Know. Wasn't, I don't wasn't
1: the wasn't the last pennant? Wasn't the last pennant with Double Day still in two thousand?
2: Two thousand was with Double Day. The sale oh, was completed yeah. in okay. December of two thousand two.
0: Okay, I stand corrected then. So uh, then it's only one pennant. So they tied on Well, no, they got two. One now pennant.
1: More one tenant, two playoffs. One tenant, <laughs> two playoffs. Uh, uh, now
0: I'm more confused. But anyway, <laughs> I, 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 I
2: you, I you know what? Have, how's, how's this one for a litmus test? This is going to be the tenth anniversary of City Field. Let's see how how they handle this.
1: Well, they well the question just... is: Are they going to? They're probably going to. They probably are already setting up for the actual tenth anniversary no I'm just saying let's see how they handle it
0: yeah yeah but, but I'm saying but logo? I'm saying
1: that I, I don't think I don't think they're going to ta- they're going to I think we would have already seen branding if they were going to prop up the 10th season I think they're going to go with 10th anniversary of we would have already seen so, the marketing this would have been something they would have been pushing yeah because the Dodgers have
0: already again. unveiled
1: the
0: uh, the 60th anniversary in LA logo and everything
1: so but but then but that what that means though we were just talking about how tone deaf these guys are so who knows that's true too we <laughs> were we would have already heard about a patch if they were going to no, do so. no they would, they thing. no tomorrow they're gonna they're gonna be like and by the way you can buy a patch now tomorrow unless
2: they do it next year yeah they'll they'll unveil it I
1: don't know May seventeenth that sounds like a random date. <laughs> Well, March is when they're supposed to. March is supposed to be the time that you are uh, giving in your final uh, request or whatever for well, uniforms this, for the next year. But
2: these guys, these guys are completely reactionary. So first, they have to see that they drop the ball yet again. Okay. Then they have to try to correct their mistakes. So by, like I say, May seventeenth, May nineteenth, they'll get around to saying, "Oh, here, by the way, here's this commemorative patch."
1: Guys, that's no. the TBD shirt. That's going to be the TBD shirt. Yeah, I'm not sure if you guys, if anybody doesn't know what I'm talking about, they released the promo shirts, and one of them was TBD, which everybody just absolutely loved. <laughs> I mean, well, you sound like you were going to say something, Gary.
0: No, I, I was just going to, I, you know, maybe they're going to wait till next year and say, well, 2009, 2019, that's really 10 years, you know, when that's counting you I don't know. Who knows? You never know and nowadays they, what
1: they're going They generally do. like anniversaries. Even going all the way back to 86, they generally yeah. like to promote anniversaries, although they kind of got that one wrong, ironically. <laughs> well, was you not know. was it like a year early? Uh
0: was it a year early or a
1: year late? I think they I said get. the 25th <laughs> anniversary for the 25th season. No. So okay. they are Anyway, uh so we're going to loop back it. around to this era, the two th- we're going to loop back around to 2003 for the third episode. Um, but I want to move on to some actual potential moves that the Mets are going to make. And uh, the talk right now is is second base, in that they're they're down to four finalists: uh, Eduardo Nunez, Todd Frazier, um, uh, uh, Harrison, oh uh, James Harrison, and I'm totally spacing on the first one. I should have had, one. but uh, the the last one. Oh yeah, of course, Neil Walker, the person I'm spacing, used to be a Met. Um, so Kerry – <laughs> I, I, I got who I, I i got who I'd like them to focus on like the, the two people of the those four that I'd like to focus on, but how about you who would you like uh, them to focus on
0: well uh they, you know it came out today or yesterday that a struggle would rather play second base so uh, using that as a guideline being that you you did pick him as your second baseman. I don't want Neil Walker back. Nothing against Neil Walker, but I don't want to bring back, you know, the last year's team again. And that's what essentially you're going to do. You brought back Bruce. That's fine. It was a good signing, uh, but don't bring back uh, Walker. I wouldn't have brought back to Ferrer. I would have used that eight and a half million dollars somewhere else, but that's beyond, uh, you know, that's, that's beside the point at this time. Uh, the guy I was, what I would do right now is I would go out and I'd say Todd Frazier to two years. I don't know what, what he made last year. I, it's, so, I don't know, $20 million, $21 million, uh, for two years if he take it. And um, I, I'd look shop for another elite pitcher that they could get fairly reasonably. Uh, but then you could put Cabrera at second where he wants to play and keep him happy. And then you'd have a very good defensive third base, and Todd Frazier, who can pop the ball. And I think that would give you uh, some good offense there between Bruce, a healthy Cespedes, and Frazier in a lineup. That's not bad. Uh, Hopefully uh, either Gonzalez or Smith at first base, whoever uh, can prove themselves to be. It's probably going to be Gonzalez. I can't see them signing him and uh, not playing him at all. So. Um, I, I'm going to look for Gonzalez at first. And look, if he's healthy, that could be a good signing as well. So uh, a potential there could be pretty decent. Uh, but that's the move I would make. I wouldn't bother with Hussakis or, or uh, you know, I'd like to get Harrison to play second, but then that puts Cabrera third. So I'd rather get a third baseman in a Frazier, who, by the way, could also play first base in a pinch. So uh, that's what I would do. I'd go after Todd Frazier.
1: Yeah, I have to agree with you. Uh, Todd Frazier and James Harrison are the people that I was going to hone in on. But then once you made the the Estrebo Cabrera point and, uh, you know, just second base, it's, it's pretty glaring that that is the move to be made, and a part of me would also find it, uh, you know, needling to the Yankees because he grew up a Yankees fan too. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so, and, and everything you hear about him is that he's exactly the veteran presence that you're trying to get that you've been losing with all the veteran presence that you lost, not only at the end of the year, but without having David Wright around all the time. So I think that would be a really good move, and I'd be pretty satisfied with the offseason, especially because the Mets were not the only ones to, to uh, trickle in slowly with this offseason, which uh, I'll, I'll ask another question regarding that later. But, Mike, when you look at all these second-base options, which direction do you want the Mets to go? Uh, you know what? Show me. That, that is, that, that's my answer. Show me. Do <laughs> something.
2: <laughs> Otherwise not really, that, That's my honest and true answer. Show me. Uh I I I I'm done haranguing over this. You know, what should Jeff already spoke and my interpretation is we're done. That's it, yeah, no I... way. That's it. <laughs> You know, I look, I wouldn't mind I, I seeing Rivera think... get time at second base. Uh, now that Andrew Bookerberry has his money, I'm kind of fed up as to where he wants to be and where he doesn't want to be. Uh, <laughs> yes. So, I, you well, know, I, I'm point. a little frustrated good in that respect. Uh, Neil Walker, I agree with Gary, been there, done that. You know, so show me something different. If you want to bring in somebody who hasn't worn in that uniform, that's, that would be refreshing. So my my that's why my answer is show me, show me what you're gonna do.
1: Yeah, uh, I agree. <laughs> and that's what Todd Frazier makes the most sense, and when we're back to basically the the only answer I believe out of the. And Gary, I'm not sure if you're on the same page, but I'm going to assume you are, that you want nothing to do with Eduardo Nunez because you have nightmares from watching him in pinstripes. Like, you laughed all the time when he was in pinstripes and kept (laughs) bobbling the ball because you've never seen anything like that in a Yankee. And then the thought of him doing that in a Mets uniform... And not even like the second they would sign him, you know he'd probably hit, but he'd be worse than Daniel Murphy because he is worse than Daniel Murphy. I mean, like, why is this name being thrown around?
0: I I don't know, and and especially since they were talking about earlier in the winter about getting a tighter defense, so why would you bring in Nunes? I I don't understand that. I. I uh, I don't even understand why Boston is so hot for him either. But um, I, I, I think, look with with a, I mean, if you could get Harrison chief, definitely, I'd rather have Harrison here to play second or third, and and I think you'd be pretty good defensively up the middle. You know, okay, Darnold's got some question marks, but uh, I, I, I personally would try to go out and find LaCroix as well, but. Um, yeah, I, I don't get the whole Nunez thing. Uh, as you say, you're going to hit. But we got pitches that, that put the ball in play, and we need better defense. Defense still wins ball games, and I think you can uh, – I heard a good recommendation the other day. If you could get a guy like Moustakis or even Frazier, then maybe you should bring up uh, Gilorme, or Gilorme, and let him play second, and tell him not to worry about hitting. And I thought, gee, that would think be that's a bad bold. Idea. That would be a bold idea. They're not going to do it because they don't have any bold ideas in them. But that would be the, the kind of thing that fans would either love or completely hate. Um, but you know, and then you put your money in your third baseman. You have Cabrera as a as a, a super sub or whatever. But now that if they signed Reyes. I don't see him making a move like that. That's why I would, I would say, uh, sign uh, Frazier. And uh, you know, let's not forget the guy was an all-star in Cincinnati. He won the home run derby there. I mean, I think I think he'd be a good fit here. And uh, I, I think he'll hit better if he comes back to the National League. And uh, I, would, I would also consider, I didn't say this before, but I would consider LaCroix, getting LaCroix in to work with his ca- catching staff and the pitching staff.
1: I really like that idea, and, and I agree that they probably wouldn't do anything like that. But I could see him basically being a Ray Ardonia as a second base. I mean, you know, we're not talking about a Brad Ema situation on our hands if he brought up Lee, Louis Diorme. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, everybody knows. For for a, anybody who doesn't know, uh, he was the the one who caught the, the the bat that was just whizzing at his head at <laughs> like eighty eight miles an hour or whatever, uh, and he caught it nonchalantly. And apparently, that's how good of a defensive man he is. And uh, it it would, I, I think they would not necessarily. They he'd have to probably win it out of spring if this was the direction they were going, and uh just because you know sandy kind of plays that game and and what what say you mike you you, you follow the uh, the mets minor leagues a lot when you seeing this kid what what what's your opinion of all that
2: i'm not sure uh i'm not sure you know all all i know is they got Thompson and 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 peter alonzo are probably their best prospects that i can come up with right now uh Otherwise, I don't know, man. A lot of question marks. Can't add much more than that. So,
1: so the Mets haven't given us too much to talk about this off season. So before we move on, I'm gonna check with you guys uh, if there's any last word regarding the off season before we move on to number three, Gary. I wish it would end. Let's get the, the pitchers and catchers so we can stop talking
0: about the off season because we're we're banging our gums Flapping our gums and and really we're just repeating the same stuff over because it's it's nothing going on and and in the Mets defense it's not just the Mets in fact they probably in a strange weird way have been one of the most active teams if you think about it uh, they signed uh, uh, Swarzak uh, uh, Bruce. Uh, Gonzalez, Reyes, even though they're recycling these guys. um, uh, Who else has done much? I mean, even in the division, Washington hasn't done that much, Uh, got a new manager. Atlanta's a mess because of their whole front office situation with their international signings and they uh, had to get a new general manager and all of that mess. Uh, Don't forget
1: a new mascot. (laughs) A new mascot, that's right. Uh, and a blooper, right? Blooper. And it's uh, awful, um, let's we don't even we don't need to give him too much time. Yeah. <laughs>
0: uh, Miami, I mean, they've stripped that team down to nothing. They're going to be playing a Triple A team, I think. Um, and Philadelphia hasn't done much. So really, in our own division, there's not a, a lot of moves that have been made. And when you look all across baseball, there's nothing going on. A whole slow market for three agents this year.
2: You, you know what? This one's way, way, way out there. Uh, uh, about Miami, now that you bring them up, and Derek Jada, he's catching hell, man. And it's not his fault. <laughs> I can't believe not One person has brought up how much of a crook Jeff Luria was. He put, the, <laughs> he put the Marlins in that situation. Jeter had no choice. Jeff Luria is such a crook. You go back to the three-card Monty they played, with the commissioner to get him in that place and how he ripped off Dade County to get that stadium and then cashes out. Criminals! It's, and then Derek Jeter comes in and tries to
0: it's really know, clean
2: up and, and now he's, he's essentially, you know, the devil. Oh my God, Derek Jeter. It's amazing to me how no one has brought up Jeff Luria in this whole Miami fiasco or perceived fiasco. Yeah. No one, bring, no one brings up that uh, Huzanga did it. He wins, he wins the World Series yeah. and then clean the house. You know, nobody brings that up.
0: Well, and this is yeah. reminiscent, uh, I mean, in the old Philadelphia A's when Connie Mack did the same thing because he couldn't yeah. afford to keep those guys. He had a million dollar infield back in those days and couldn't yeah. keep, keep them and, and sold off all his pieces. I mean, you know what? You know, it's they funny that we're, we're league, going all the way the, back.
2: Yeah, the Washington Senators and the St. Louis Browns—they were
1: essentially the Yankees and the Red Sox farm system.
0: Farm system, yeah.
1: You know, it's it's funny. It's funny that you guys are starting to bring up the old days, because as you mentioned, Connie Mack. I was looking up the 1903 Brooklyn Superbas and the 1903 New York Giants. So well done, guys! Bringing it all back around. <laughs> To number three, that's the episode number, ladies and gentlemen, number three uh, of a Metsian podcast. And we're going to talk about the uniform numbers uh, in a little bit. But first, we're going to, before talking about the 2003 New York Mets, I just did a little tease. And, and, and just real quick, without uh, getting into too much, uh, we got the 1903 Brooklyn Superbas who weren't all that good at 7066. Finishing fifth in the National League with Ned Hanlon there, and that was basically uh, for all of you Brooklyn historian fans out there. <laughs> Ned Hanlon was at the end of his road with uh, with the Brooklyn Superbas there, and the 1903 New York Giants. The uh, the 1903 New York Giants went 84 and 55, just losing out on the pennant, fin- finishing second in the National League in the 1903. Um, and in fact, if I'm correct, and I gotta look at the National League schedule and results here, uh, but maybe you can help me out with this. Isn't isn't this a pretty famous um, loss on the Giants' part, or or maybe I'm mistaken my years, uh, Mike? Uh, 1903. Uh,
2: we're talking about the first World Series between the Red Sox and Pirates, right. right, Gary? Uh, mm-hmm. I think it was the year after. It was either the year before or the year after where the Giants refused to play the
1: winner of the American League for the World Series. Yeah, it was 1904 they refused it. No, I was thinking I was thinking of – I think there was something with the Cubs, and this is a completely separate year that I, I am thinking of uh, than, than 1903. But, yeah, 1903 was the first World Series, but the next year was the year that he, uh, he would not – Play, I believe it was the White Sox, Be- pro- and probably because of Ban Johnson. But well, we'll get there in did, uh, 1904. Yeah, he didn't think that the other
0: league existed, <laughs> and McGraw—he wasn't recognized. Yeah, Now, without getting
1: too target. without getting too far into politics, imagine if a presidential candidate refused. To, to face somebody, <laughs> yeah, I, I, don't, I don't believe they exist. <laughs> any, anyway, uh, moving on from from the 1903, I just uh, we had to drop that on there with the State of the Union coming up. But 2003 New York Mets, we're back around to this. This is the uh, art house first year. Mike, it, it, you know, I think you got to take it away here <laughs> with the 2003 New York. Oh uh, wow. Uh, to me just
2: a a complete disaster because it wasn't just about the season in and of itself. It it was the future that I saw and it was bleak. Uh, Bobby Valentine was gone and, you know, Steve Phillips had to follow. It was just a matter of time. And of course, this was the first season that the Wilpons, uh, you know, sailed forward on on the SS Wilpon, as I used to say, the rudderless SS Wilpon set sale in, in two thousand three without Doubleday. And he shut it down. He shut it down. Because like I said, back to the inf- one of the infamous fights between the Will Ponds and Doubleday was over either renovating Shea Stadium or building city fields. Well now that Doubleday was out of the way and he forked over fifty percent of the payment due to him and he was due to make three more payments to him over the following three years to satisfy uh double day's share but uh he immediately jumped into you know seeking out financing to build city field and he took it out on the club. He said shut it down and Duquette wasn't allowed to spend any money. And here we go, sixty nine and ninety two. So uh you know that went on the following season as well and I was no big fan of Art Al. So I was completely miserable, uh, you know, from going from a national league championship in in 2000. Here we are, just a a a, a short three years later, uh, and we're back to the same old same old again.
1: And, and that's By the way, what, uh, that 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 record I think I read off was the Pythagorean win loss record. They actually lost 95 games. Yeah, you're right. You're right.
2: That was a quick, uh, quick glance. 66 and 95. Uh,
1: but nonetheless,
2: it was the future that I saw, and, and it just made me so sad because I thought, here we go again. Here we go again. And like I said, it was just a matter of time before Steve Phillips got fired. There was no way he was going to stick around after firing Bobby Valentine. Both of them deserved it. And, and you know what? Good for good for the Will Ponds because when they got around to firing him and how they fired him, I was pretty content with their tone of voice, you know, we complain about them, but I was pretty satisfied with their, with their tone. Uh, But uh, no, I wasn't satisfied at all with Art Howe and, and, you know, Duquette, he was just, uh, he was completely impotent. He wasn't allowed to do anything. So, ah, 2003, that's, that's, that's it right there. Ah,
1: exasperation with this team, more of it. Shane Spencer and Kareem Garcia, Gary, what went wrong? I, you know,
0: I, I was looking at the, this today, and the opening day lineup actually had three future Hall of Famers in it. And you have to shake your head and wonder what what the heck went
1: wrong. It hurt <laughs> yeah. Alamon, yeah. Tom Glavin. You know, I, I think I was wrong about Shane Spencer. Shane Spencer and Kareem Garcia don't come there until the next year, but but excuse me.
0: Yeah, yeah. But um, you have to wonder what the heck did go wrong with this team. I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, even the pitching wasn't awful. They had Blavin, Leida, uh, Heilman, Traxel, um, I don't know. It, it just it was a mystery to me, and, and Art Howe had had some minimal success, but, of course, the, you know, Piazza was injured most of the year. I think he only played 68 games that year, and, and that hurt. And, and, look, probably the only bright spot of that season was Jose Reyes uh, making his debut in June. So, um it was a rough year. It was really terrible. And like Mike said, they wouldn't let Duquette uh, spend any money. And, uh, you know, and, and it showed on the field.
1: You know, it's funny because David Cohn was also on this team. Well, briefly,
0: right? Yeah. Is five games. Comeback five games. Yeah.
1: Yeah, he was 40 years old. Yeah. <laughs> and <any laughs> you know, bad you have, uh... You're talking about what he said about the 98 Yankees versus the 86 Mets?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on.
1: He didn't play for the
2: 86 Mets. What does he know?
1: That's right. Wasn't and some, somebody also pointed out that somebody also pointed out that Daryl Strawberry got 101 games in (laughs) for the 98 Yankees.
0: Yeah, he was the D.H. And then, and then then had cancer.
1: Wow. Yeah. So, Um, I mean, you know, like, there were, there were some other circumstances that involved why he didn't play more games even. Right. (laughs) You know, so, like, like, not to, not to, obviously, you know, I, I hear where he's coming from with the 98 Yankees, but, I, you know, I, I would like to see, and you basically have to simulate it several times over on on a seven, like you basically you'd have to simulate a, several times over a seven-game series in, via video games, maybe let's say a hundred times. And I think only then could you actually get a serious, you know, allegorical explanation as to, how, you know, who would win in that situation. Mm-hmm. If you want to take it, Mike. No. No (laughs) comments. Done. Done. Number three, ladies and gentlemen. Number three. (laughs) Okay. So, I'm sure you guys have taken a look at this. I think it's pretty clear, Gary, who wins number three, but I'll allow for you.
0: Well, for me, the, the one that stood out was, of course, Buddy Harrelson. That was probably... That goes back to my uh early days uh, of uh them. and uh that's the three that really stands out the most and the Curtis Curtis grandison as well the last few years but uh, i have to you have to go you know if you're going with all time Mets guys that wore a certain number buddy house has got be the one that really uh stands out there and and uh also uh, for me uh, Tim Hawkins uh, I forgot that he wore another three, so when I was uh, looking it up, it uh, uh, remembered, uh, it stuck a memory in me, and Rafael Santana as well. But, you know, it's got to be Buddy Harrelson.
1: Can you, can you talk about Eddie Boucher at all?
2: <laughs> uh, Ed Boucher. <laughs> Ed, Ed Boucher.
1: Boucher, excuse me. I, you know, that's like, it's, I'm pretty sure that's the second time I have live on air mispronounced it.
0: Well, you know, I was ready with Gus Bell, but the Eddie crochet really drew me. Uh he was like a a, <laughs> a
1: lefty
0: a lefty first baseman. Uh you know, uh, he was not much of a hitter like everybody else. He had knocked around the majors for a few years, the journeyman type of guy, and uh um you know, just the kind of players the Mets had in '62 and '63. Though all of those guys, they just knocked around the old guys, and uh, they come and they, they're not very good. And let's see, I'm looking now. He played 50 games with them, had 87 at bats, so uh, hit a hit a whopping 161. So uh, <laughs> yes. that's the best I can tell you.
1: Um, uh, Mike. You know, when you look at this, it, 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 you'd have to say Bud Harrelson as well, I'm guessing.
2: Uh, I'm staring at my friend Bud Harrelson autograph, and he signs it with 69 champs underneath his autograph. So, uh, yeah, he's the man, Buddy Harrelson from my childhood. Uh, at the time, I was upset the Mets didn't retain Carl Everett. At the time, I thought very highly of him.
1: Uh-huh. Uh
2: you know, the way things turn out is another thing. But at the time, I was like, yeah, I was very happy to get them, get them, and, and I was upset when uh, they, they failed to retain it. Uh Alex Carr on the list. You know, back when he played for the Mets and during his career, they always said he was a manager in the making. And, look, he's going to debut as the Red Sox manager this year. Uh, who else is on this list? Uh, Rafael Santana. How could you not mention him from the 1986 Champions? Uh, smooth, slap hitter, smooth. And Richie Hebner, the, the, uh,
1: yeah. the ditch digger. Yeah, <laughs> Richie <laughs> Hebner, Richie, 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 Hefner, uh, What a name! What a baseball name! And he, and that was his only season as a Met. Yep. Yep. And he was happy with that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he when, hated you know, it. You know, for me, Damian Easley. Uh, Omar Quintanilla and Curtis Granderson, and I, I only say Omar Quintanilla. I mean, he wore it briefly, the, the, basically just for all the second half of 2013. But I always liked Omar Quintanilla, Gary. I, I thought that he was really like a spunky. You know, he he obviously was a 222 hitter, but I thought he was a spunky 222 hitter. <laughs> yeah,
0: he was one of those guys that said, you know. uh we talk about this at the bunch of Mets fans at work. We talk about this how you you have teams and you have guys that in your memory stick and then you look at their numbers and you say, Boy, they weren't really that good were they? But you know, they might have had their moments as as a as a mess or whatever. And and that's what you stuck with. That's maybe you you were young and uh the, the guy, you know, caught your eye, you liked the way he played or you liked his name or whatever. And, uh, and I think that's a big part of fandom that people sometimes rec- don't recognize, that you have to uh, go with the big stars all the time. I mean, Benny Agbayani, I mean, Met fans remember him like crazy. Was he a big star? Nah, he had a nice little career. But we remember him fondly because of uh, the throwing the ball in the stands and, of course, the... the uh, the Grand Slam homer, I think it was, in the Japan Bowl there when they played Japan one year. Uh, it's just things like that. So, um, you know, Mark uh, Kintanay, he was one of those guys. He was a little spark plug and, uh, um, uh, you know, he it, it played all the tens of different positions. That's, that's why you probably remember because he was in around different second, third, short, you know, all those utility
1: things. And he will always be the answer to the trivia question: Who was the starting shortstop uh, the night that Johan Santana threw the first no-hitter? Uh, <laughs> there you go. And and I'll always appreciate that. And we'll wrap it up. We got to wrap it up with Curtis Granderson, Mike. I think that and and you know his legacy's over. Uh, well, his legacy really, his Met's legacy's really just beginning. But his time as a Met is over. And where do you think his legacy goes from here? As someone who uh, was underwhelmed
2: by his signing, uh, he leaves, in in, in my book, Great Mets. Uh, He was an outstanding person. And in 15, he carried us through the summer until the trade deadline, and then everything changed. Had he not carried us, Uh, guess what? No National League championships. But, uh, I mean, he was an outstanding person. Uh, He won me over. I guess that's the right way of saying it. For someone who was lukewarm to his acquisition, uh, he won me over. Uh, Sure, he had his faults and this and that and the other. Good met. I have nothing but fond memories of him. Uh, And, hey, what more can you ask for? I mean, as a fan, that's what you want to hear as a player, right? I I appreciated Mm -hmm. him. I appreciated his efforts. And I appreciated his games and the way he handled himself and and the 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 uh, the presence he had in the locker room uh, that meant a lot to a lot of young players uh and if you don't think any of them benefited by his being around uh you're probably mistaken
0: and if I might Gary uh, yeah yeah uh i i think he uh, sort of how gonna put this. He re-legitimized the franchise again when he signed here, you know. Uh, They were kind of wallowing and not getting any uh, big free agents. And he was kind of a big free agent in that class that came out. And I think he made it okay to be a mess again. You know, there was that lull. Uh, where they were struggling with the uh, the collapses and all of that. And the team went down then after 2008. And uh, I think he just, uh, again, the best way I can describe it is the franchise in a certain extent and, and uh, made it okay for Cespedes to come here and to re-sign here and, uh, you know, so uh, we have to thank him for that. And he was a great guy in the community, and, and, and like Michael said, just an all-around nice guy and really won people over.
1: Yeah, and, and to your point about that, uh, I mean, he the first day that he was in the jersey, he said, true New Yorkers are Mets fans. That's what he had been told. Mm-hmm. And he captured that essence of, of and, and we really ran with it. You know, he captured that essence of what it's, what it feels like to be a Mets fan what what you feel about your Mets fandom tied into your New Yorker fandom if you will uh, you know being you know being proud to be a part of that of your city and and win or lose you know success or no success there's there's happiness that that's the point of of the Mets and sometimes like you know for for me even though sometimes it can be Ridiculous! What we're going through. I'm generally entertained, and I'm generally with. I generally have a smile on my face when talking about the New York Mets. And also, uh, um, to to wrap it up uh, with Curtis Granderson, he really had some big moments as a Mets, and, and like some serious game changing moments, and some serious, like you said, not just from signing re legitimizing the franchise, but there are moments uh, uh, of during those stretch runs. Let's say you know take for instance the Washington game of game uh, the the third game of the series that we basically took uh, first place from Washington. He is the one who hit that uh, go ahead two run home run after Kevin plevecki got on uh, on base and um, or however whoever got on in front of him, but because I think Kevin, P- what's crazy about that inning is that Kevin Plawecki hit up the middle this laser. That uh, uh, Jordan Zimmerman just plucked out of the air, and then it's I I, I or uh, was it somebody help me here, Gary? What do you remember about that game? <laughs> I, I was on vacation. I don't. Know. I was, was Mike. Do you remember uh, anything about that game? I gotta find that out. Oh
2: no, no! Oh my buddy, god, it's gonna kill me. i that, safely repressed.
1: <laughs> no, somebody hit a laser for the second out. But then somebody got on base, like got to second base, and I think Plevicky is the one who got to second base. And and um, it's obviously August second, uh, August second, two thousand fifteen. Nats Mets. Now we got to find this out before wrapping this segment up, guys. <laughs> everybody, everybody, hold on a second. <laughs> Baseball reference. Let's take a look at this. I don't want to see the game preview. Um, anyway, but, but with with Curtis Granderson and thinking about it, I'll I'll, I'll let you take this, Gary. After, after while, I look this thing up um, with with his defense. Every time that somebody would say, "Oh, he's he's old. He can't play center field like he used to play it," to balls left and right, and then of course the basically the Andy Chavez catch of two thousand sixteen. Right, right, and.
0: Uh... Yeah, a common mistake that people were criticized on defense. Uh, uh, Michael Conforto was a victim of that as well. But um, uh, yeah, he, he moved his back to center field and didn't really kill you there at all. He still seemed to have his speed. he uh, not a lot to step or two, but the only thing his throwing arm was weak, and you could see that sometimes right field when he played there. On certain plays. But you know what? He was smart enough and a veteran enough to know how to play the ball, how to attack the ball, how to get rid of it quickly, uh, what base to throw to. So that kind of could make up for some of the lack of arm strength. And uh, I just think he was a very heady player and. you know, and and as we said, uh, good in the clubhouse. Uh, you know, who who can forget when Duda got traded? That little video they put together where he's just, you know hanging on, don't go, and and the whole the whole thing with Duda on Instagram. He he actually humanized Duda. He made Duda more likable and and uh, um, I guess human. <laughs> I don't know. You know, brought him out of his shell. He a opened
2: him bit. up a little bit. Yeah.
1: yeah. So so I found it. I found it. Uh, Kevin Bobecki walks to open the inning. Noah Syndergaard bunted him over to second base. Ruben Tejada, remember that guy? Yeah. And he lined out to the pitcher, and it was sick because all of a sudden it was like, oh, the momentum has gone. And then on the fifth pitch on a 2-2 count, which was Curtis Granderson, which is crazy because Curtis Granderson would either, uh, uh, you know, shorten up his swing. Or he would swing through a curveball, but on this pitch, he hit it for a home run and Plevicky scored. And Daniel Murphy hit a crazy home run on the next pitch, and then uh, Cis Pettis hit it on the second pitch. He hits a single, and then Lucas. And uh, this, this is this is crazy, and we don't need to go off on this digression. But Lucas Duda may have hit the the. I don't know how. I don't know what. I've never seen anybody get to a ball where Jordan Zimmerman pitched it, the way Lucas Duda turns on this pitch. I mean, this thing was literally at his chin, and he was able to get the barrel of the bat to the ball and hit it mile high off uh, off the foul pole, which, because ESPN is terrible at their jobs, didn't get a proper angle of it, and cut to and cut to Bryce Harper instead because that's what a national audience cares about and not where the ball actually goes. Oh, my God. So, anyway, end of end of digression and end of rants. Uh, we're going to bring it back around. Number three, everybody, I think off the top of my head, without even looking at the, the list, I have to say, obviously, Bud Harrelson takes it. But Curtis Granderson, in four years, three and a half, really, uh, made an indelible impression in the number three. So, kudos to everybody to wear the number three in New York Mets history. And uh, without further ado, I'll bring it around to our last word. And I'm going to go to our future guest first, uh, and that's Mets Musings. You can go to MetsMusings.com, MetsMusings1 on Twitter, and find his podcast. Uh, I was going to shameless plug for you, Gary, but take it away.
0: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, Last word, I just... I want to see what happens the next couple of weeks in the whole world of baseball with the free agents, you know, uh, still available. And uh, I can't wait for spring training.
1: I think that let's let's
0: leave it there. I can't wait for spring to
1: start. Thank you, Gary, as always, for being on and appreciate uh, your first appearance on a Metsian podcast. Thanks again. My
0: pleasure, and lots of luck, and I uh, hope it goes on for many, many years. Thanks,
1: Gary. And, Mike, your last word, uh, but before without further ado, the Brooklyn Trolley Blogger, com, <laughs> and uh, BTB underscore Mike B. Hurst. And, uh, yeah, take it away, Mike. And people
2: think that's my name, too. That's Mike from Bentonhurst. That's what that means. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. Unlike Gary, I can wait for spring training. (laughs) And that's because of Winter League Baseball. February 1st, uh, the Caribbean Series starts. And on February 7th, they'll decide another champion. So uh, I'm excited for that because, uh, you know, for me, everything in due time. Uh, I need to get to hockey and basketball. And football, and I need to get through winter leagues, and then baseball can come around again. So, you know, I can wait. I I, I like winter league baseball, and uh, I'm excited for the upcoming playoffs.
1: My last word is Tyler Clipper pitching in the ninth inning, fly ball, Ryan Zimmerman, Jason (laughs) Worth singled. Clint Robinson lined out, and then Jose Lobetan flied out, and the Mets were virtually tied with the Nationals, and the rest is history. And I am hoping to say the rest is history with a much better outcome at the end of 2018 than 2015. And when I say much better outcome, because you would think making the World Series would be an excellent outcome, but a much better outcome would have been winning in five and not blowing three of the four games. But without further ado, I bring you to the end of a Metsian podcast, this third episode. Thank thank you, everybody, for joining us. Thank you for listening. And uh, we'll catch you next time. Uh, Thanks, Gary. Thanks, Mike. And uh, the only thing left to say is let's go Mets. Go Mets. Go Mets.
2: Good night.
1: Good night. Good night, everybody.